Thanks, Lisa, for uh, leading us through those prayer requests. It's good to hear you all sharing, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to pray for each other. And again, as I always hope every week, that this wouldn't be the last time that we would be mindful of these requests, that we could keep them in mind and pray for each other even as the days go on from here. We're going to continue on in our sermon series. I'm going to start with a little story for you. It was uh, when I uh, entered grade 9, and I was living down in, in Dallas, and as a percussionist, I had the opportunity in grade 9 to become part of the drum line or the drum corps and marching band, and that was something I was always looking forward to. And all, everyone else who was not a freshman or not in grade 9 said, okay, you're going to be part of drum corps, but you have to be initiated first, so I had to go through initiation, which is just a nice word for hazing. And so they have this initiation event, and they really want to test your metal and make you as unsettled as possible. And so we went over to uh, one of these uh, students' houses, and they had all these different challenges and gross things we had to do in order to prove our worth to enter the drum corps. But what was the thing I I remember most about it was that in the meantime, as as different uh, uh, groups of us were getting pulled out for these challenges, they would keep us, the rest of us, locked in this room that was completely pitch black. They had blacked out the only one window, and even below the door, it was so dark you couldn't see in front of your face. But the cherry on top, what unsettled us the most was that in that black, dark room that we waited, they played Umbop by Hansen on repeat. And if you're either too young or too old to know that reference, then you are very blessed indeed. So we were kind of put at our wit's end, but it's that darkness that really stuck with me. It was deeply unsettling to not be able to see your hand in front of your face, to be in a room with others and not really know where they were unless we were talking, which we tried to do over top of the umbab to keep each other sane. Darkness cropped up again here, even at Stony Brook just a few months ago. We had Dallas and Tara Weeb, our former adopted missionaries. They were coming to visit. They were right up here doing their presentation, and then boom, the power went out. The entire building in the school was without power. And I still blame Emery for that. But it wasn't his fault, really, I suppose. Uh, we didn't get power back at all. And so I had the somewhat unique opportunity to preach in the dark. And I couldn't tell whether I liked it or not, not being able to see your faces as uh, we, we learned together. But overall, it was, again, an unsettling feeling. So whether the dark is oppressive or whether it's unexpected, Both of these things can be disconcerting because as human beings, the way that we've been created and put together, we don't love the dark. We need to see, and to see, we need light. And it's this idea, this experience of light and darkness that John uses to masterfully explain more about the Word. And last week, we were in the first three verses of the Gospel of John, the prologue, and we, we learned that the Word, who is Jesus, is divine. He is fully God. We know that because he participates in creation. He participates in revealing who God truly is, and he participates in the, the redemption or the deliverance or the saving of his people. Jesus is the Word, and the Word is divine. And this week, we will learn that the Word, who is Jesus, is also the light of the world. And for that, we are going to read John 1, verses 4 to 9. You can open your Bibles there. Follow along with me if you'd like. Speaking of the Word, John says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, 
but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That's where we stop this morning. Would you pray with me one more time? God, you are creator, you are revealer, you are deliverer, and you are the light of the world. And so much of our hope comes from a passage like this, where we deeply understand our need for light to pierce the darkness. And so, God, I don't know where we have all come from this week. I don't know what different types of darkness we've experienced, uh, darkness of our own making, uh, darkness that seems to, to cloud our vision and judgment and we can't get away from, darkness that others seem to keep in our life. But this is a bent and broken world, God. We need light in it. So I pray that today this word that you would have to speak to us would be one of hope, would be that beacon of light in darkness. And God, I pray that we would live differently because of that. Just um, commit this time to you and pray this in your name. Amen. So what do we learn? Well, one of the first lessons that John goes to teach us here is that this light shines in the darkness. Very simple, but we'll unpack that, that the light shines in the darkness. And to explain this, John continues to use the, the teaching theme of creation. That's where he began in John 1, 1, in the beginning, which was very, meant very intentionally to take us as readers back to Genesis 1. And if we read Genesis 1, it says that darkness was over the face of the deep. And the first thing that God did in his creativity was to speak and say, let there be light. And then John 1 tells us now that light shines in the darkness. This theme of creation is still with us as we continue to study John's gospel. And light and darkness are common metaphors used for good and evil. And that is certainly the case in all of John's writings, not just the rest of his gospel, but especially when you go to the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, light and darkness come up over and over and over again. It is one of his favorite teaching themes to explain to us not just the truth about Jesus, but the truth of who we are in him and what that looks like. So this is, is the beginning. The, the, the prologue is this introduction to a theme that will carry on throughout the gospel and the letters of John. And they are metaphors, light and darkness, for good and evil. So light, of course, we're, we're used to some of these metaphors. Light would represent goodness, holiness, purity, warmth, and the presence of God. I bring that last one forward, that, that the presence of God is light, because we learn together in our series in Revelation that, that at the end of all things, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, and Jesus has returned, and we are with him completely, that there is no need for the sun and the moon, because the light will be the Lord God. He is all the light that we need when we are in his presence. While darkness is the antithesis, it is the opposite of what light represents. Darkness represents evil, sin, impurity, coldness, and a lack of the presence of God. Hmm. Evil, cold, lack of God's presence. That's exactly how I feel at 4.30 p.m. every time I walk outside my door these days. Why do we even live here sometimes, right? It's like, come on. Darkness, and it affects us when it gets dark so early in the evening these days. But we see these themes of light and darkness, not just in John's writings, but throughout all of Scripture. Not just in the Bible, but we see it in other religious texts as well. In fact, we're still surrounded by these themes of light and darkness, which is why they are so compelling 
because they, they, they hit something in our soul. And I've mentioned before, I love my fantasy books. And one of the reasons I'm okay to say that is, is because you all know I'm a nerd by now. But, but, but there's something compelling about that genre because there's always a battle of good and evil. There's always this tug between light and darkness. And I think that does something to, to remind me of the truth of what John is teaching here in Scripture. I, I think that when we see these themes and when we see these stories, even when they're in, in, in different movies and in books that have nothing to do with Jesus, it still is, 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 is drawing us into the greatest story ever told, that the light of the world would come down into darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And what does John's prologue tell us about this? Well, he mentions that light and darkness are both incompatible and in constant conflict. This is what we learn from uh, chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Some of you may be reading a, a different version of Scripture than I am, and it might say that the darkness has not understood the light. Those seem like two very different ideas. And which one is it? Well, the Greek verse that's at odds here is the verse katalambano, which means to seize or to light upon or to hold fast or to understand. That's quite a few diverse potential meanings for one word to have. And if you've ever studied Greek in any capacity, you will realize that that's part of the richness of the language. That each and every word, especially these verbs, can hold a multitude of meanings, some which can vary quite a bit from one another. And so you begin to get a bit of a sense or understanding of how many decisions are made for you as these translators are trying to do their best to say, well, which way, out of all of these five senses, which sense is the most accurate to this passage? And one of the reasons why I think so many translators are, are still split on this is because there are ideas of both that are true. And I think we could translate it either way and come up with something helpful. So for example, if we say that, that the light shone in the darkness and the darkness did not understand the light, to me this would refer to spiritual ignorance that needs revelation. This would refer to the fact that light and darkness are completely incompatible. The darkness cannot understand, can't comprehend, can't join in, can't appreciate, can't seek after the light. They're completely incompatible things. See, I have the luxury now of driving a 2006 Honda Odyssey, and it has over 300,000 kilometers. So every once in a while, when I pull out of my garage or my parking spot, I'll notice that we left a little bit of oil behind. It happens. just happens fairly regularly in my van. And what's always interesting is if you have a puddle of water and then that oil drops in, they don't mix at all. The oil and the water, they'll interplay with each other in a little, a little bit, but they'll never mix. They'll never become one. They are fundamentally incompatible. And that's exactly what John teaches us about light and darkness. They cannot be together. It's black or white, light or dark. There is no gray area. This light of the world came and the darkness could not understand. And, and there are people who are living in darkness who, who are spiritually ignorant to that light. And it won't make sense to them. It may not even look, uh, uh, they might not even appreciate it. It needs this revelation. This revelation that John has already taught that Jesus can also be. But then what would it mean if we translated that the light in the darkness, uh, if, the, if the dark, sorry, the light shone in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it? Well, the sense here is one of spiritual warfare and conflict 
The darkness tried to overcome the light. There was a struggle. There was a conflict of sorts, but, but there was a clear victor that the light would overcome the dark. The dark tried to overcome the light, but it was unable to do so. In one sense, it's incompatible. In the other sense, light and darkness are in conflict. And I know for those of you who have, have been part of this church for a long time, I, I've preached a number of sermons on the themes of light and darkness, and I always use this analogy, and I'm going to use it again because I'm going to talk about Lord of the Rings. And so there is this time and this moment in Lord of the Rings where Frodo, the ring bearer, needs something, and the rest of the fellowship need these gifts given to them by, by Galadriel that will help them on their quest. And I know, I know how geeky this sounds. And so then what Frodo is given is light. Light from all the goodness, all the beauty, all the majesty of Middle-earth and of the elven people captured in this vial. And then he is given this gift, and Galadriel says, this is a light for you, a light for when all other lights go out. And yes, as, as you would maybe know the story, uh, Frodo goes to the outskirts of Mordor, this land of darkness, and he, he finds himself in, in the lair of Shelob, a giant spider, and this cavern is completely black and dark. And Frodo is about to be eaten by the spider, and then he pulls out this vial of light. And the light shines in the darkness. Not only does it help Frodo see, but Shelob cannot be with this light. She cannot abide the light. She has to flee. It saves Frodo's life. You see, there's this incompatibility with light and darkness, but there's also this conflict, a very one-sided conflict in which light always wins. These are some of the senses that John is teaching us when he says that the light shines in the darkness. This is hope for us. So I've set up our main points today as being a lesson that we can learn and, and then a, a, um, a response that we have to this lesson. So I would say, because the light shines in the darkness, therefore we walk in the light. This should matter to us. This shouldn't just be an idea that we take from here, like, oh, I learned all about catalambano. I learned about a Greek verb. Okay, that's great. How does this make a difference today? We need to walk in the light. And you don't have to take my word for it. I love the way that Jesus describes it later in the Gospel of John in a parallel passage that these passages certainly are connected to each other. John chapter 12, verses 35 and 36. And Jesus is speaking to his followers. And he said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And so immediately Jesus affirms these lessons that we've learned. He says, the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. There is a spiritual ignorance, the spiritual blindness that comes. when We try to make it through life on our own. When we try to put everything together in a way that makes sense to us and can be controlled by us, then we find ourselves in spiritual darkness. We have not understood the light it's incompatible. We need this revelation. On the other hand, when we walk in the light, it is Jesus who is this revelation. It is Jesus who, who literally gives us sight and guides our steps so we can see one foot in front of the other. Jesus lights our path. Just yesterday in my home, we uh, had our first fire in our fireplace of the season. It was cold enough, and, and so we wanted to, to have this fire lit in the fireplace. And, and my son Malachi wanted to know how it was done so I was showing him step by step how we would properly light this fire. 
And one of the first things we need to do is we need to go into the fire and take our fire poker and then grab onto a latch that will pull open the flue so that everything, all the smoke and stuff, can go out properly. But I couldn't see into the fireplace. It was too dark. Now, luckily, I had one of the other sons, Silas, was walking around with his headlamp on because he was getting ready for the fire. He knows we turned down the lights and everything, so he was prepared. So I said, hey, boy, you know, come over here. Can you look into the fireplace? He's like, just look. I'm like, yeah, just look. Turn that thing on and look in there. And sure enough, as soon as I could see what I was doing, I could pull the latch open and continue to light the fire. This is the exact image. Like We are in and of ourselves. We walk in spiritual blindness and spiritual darkness. And I could try all day long and not know where I was going. But Jesus offers us. Jesus, the light of the world, offers us a way forward. He guides. He reveals. He doesn't leave us in a state of spiritual ignorance. Christ can help us discern what is right and what is wrong. He can help us understand what his plans may be for us. He teaches us how to view other people with his own eyes in a way that we can love and appreciate the people around us just the way that he does. And so many more things. Like This is Jesus, his light of the world. It is how we walk in the light. Because the light shone in the darkness, the darkness did not understand the light. And yet, in Jesus' teaching here in John 12, he says that darkness still threatens to overtake the disciples. And that verb for overtake is the exact same verb that we just witnessed in John chapter 5. So this conflict is still going on. And and it's easy to walk in the light for the disciples because the light was right there beside them. And Jesus is preparing them to say, continue always, each and every day, walk in the light. And if you do, you'll have victory. But if you stop, then the darkness still threatens to overtake you. This speaks to the conflict the fact that we have victory in the light of Jesus when we walk in the light. When we walk in the light. And walking in the light is the practical everyday experience of living out our faith. So you say, okay, you need to, I need to, I'm tracking with you, pastor. I need to trust in Jesus and he's the light of the world. I need to walk in the light. Does that mean, no, it's, it's not just a belief. It's not just believing something to be true. It's not having a worldview where now you say, okay, I'm going to look at the world this way. It's not a repeat-after-me prayer. How, it's a, it's a day-in, day-out living out of your faith of saying, today I choose to follow Jesus. Today I choose to follow his example. Today, when he shines a light on my path, I will follow. How we live, as Jesus says, how we walk matters. And John explains this even further in his writings in 1 John chapter 2. Again, we we should be not surprised at all to see the theme of light and darkness come up again. This is what John says in in, in chapter 2, verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Does that sound familiar? It should. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The darkness has blinded his eyes. So what is the evidence of walking in the light? What does John put before us? And again, when we read 1 John, and I encourage you to read it, it is hard. He, he takes away this middle ground. He talks about how important it is to live out these things in faith. But John never says this is how we earn God's favor. He never says this is how we deserve our faith or our salvation. He says, if you have this light in you, 
then this is the evidence of this being true. This is, this is a test. This is how you can know. If you have the light within you, it will pour out of you and it will look like this. That's what John is teaching. And what is this evidence of the light? It is that we would love our brothers and sisters. And in particular, in the sense that John is using it here, it means first and foremost, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our faith community, our spiritual family of which we are all a part. But it is equally true to to establish this even further and, and to know that we are called to love all the people around us. Just the way that Jesus modeled this for us by living and dying and raising again for them. We are called to love all others. That is the evidence of light, just as the evidence of darkness would be hatred and animosity towards other people. What evidence is there in our life? Now, the Christmas season provides ample opportunities to walk in the light by displaying love for others. So I was encouraged by all those shoeboxes that we were able to to pack and and put together for Operation Christmas Child. And we sent those away and gave gifts to, to children across the world who would not have a gift otherwise. And in that way, I believe we showed evidence of walking in the light I know even now, there are, are, in our community, there's, the donations are being accepted for Christmas hampers. And so maybe you have something that you can give to those who maybe don't have as much to eat as we do during the Christmas season. Or perhaps you or, or your small group want to get together and help deliver those Christmas hampers when they're ready to go closer to Christmas time. Whatever the case may be, there are tangible ways to show our love for our brothers and sisters and those around us and to walk in the light. And yes, we're going to be getting together with friends and family this year. And for some of you, that might be exciting. For others of you, it might be a little more intimidating. Uh, Comedian Jim Gaffigan put it this way. He said, over COVID, for two years, there were no weddings, no kids' birthday parties, no family gatherings. But it wasn't all good news. And we're in family gathering season right now. And those people can be those ones that just push your buttons, that drive you crazy, that, that are not kind to you. And how you treat them matters. It's probably the best opportunity you may be given to walk in the light and to share that light with others. So many more ways. Again, not to earn the light, but to reveal the light at work in you. And do your actions reveal that you are walking in the light or in darkness? That's our first point and our first response to it. Second, the second thing we learn here is that the light shines in the darkness. It shines for everyone. John describes the word who is Jesus as being the light of men. And here is where I feel like my English standard version, the ESV that I preach out of, let me down a little bit because this needs to be gender inclusive because it is talking about everyone. So it really ought to be the light of humanity, the light of all of humankind, of everyone. And we know it's inclusive because if we skip down to verse 9, Jesus is also described as the true light, which gives light to everyone, to the whole world, to every single person. Jesus is for every single person. And when he entered the world, this was good news for every single person, for everyone. And so the, the, those who were looking for Jesus the most to, to arrive as the Messiah were the Jewish people. They had the prophecies. They had the expectations. They were looking for the Messiah. And they always expected that the, the coming of the Messiah would be good news for them. And very quickly they found out that, yes, it was good news for them, though it was so much more than that. 
it was truly good news for everyone. And we're reminded of that in a more traditional Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, of which I have childhood memories of doing this in, in school plays or in church plays. I often had the opportunity to be a shepherd um, because uh, I wasn't very good at, at singing or remembering lines. And so I was a shepherd. So I'd be part of this group who would be watching over a flock by night, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord would shine around this angel, and I would have to be sore afraid because we did it in the King James back then, and I was so confused. What does it mean to be sore afraid? I'm like, so afraid, but sore afraid. I, don't, I still don't know why we translated it like that. But they were sore afraid. But that's not the point. The point is what the angel said to them. What message did he have? The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is good news. It is good news for you. It is good news for me. It is good news for the entire world. And so, yes, Jesus exceeded all the expectations that Israel had for their Messiah. But he continues to exceed our expectations today. And if he does not, then we believe about him not quite rightly. Jesus is still exceeding our expectations. He is still the light of the entire world. And we should not be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that this has always been the, the case. God had left lots of notes in the prophets that, that through Israel, that this would be his plan, that he would always work through his people to be a light to the nations. I love it. In, in Isaiah 49.6, we read this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Israel was called to be God's light to the nations. And Jesus then fulfilled Israel's calling as a true light for all people. And now salvation does extend to the ends of the earth. In Christ, salvation is, is available to each and every person. In Christ, no matter what type of darkness you're experiencing now, there is a light that can pierce through and it can overcome and it can push back that darkness. And you can have the presence of God now and forever. And that church, is good news. And the worst thing that we can do is keep it a secret. So our second lesson we learned is that the light shines for everyone, then our response is straightforward. Therefore, we need to bear witness to the light. You might have noticed as we read at the opening passage here uh, that there seems to be a bit of an interlude. John starts talking about Jesus, the word, as the light, and then he continues to talk about that in verse 9. But in between, he decides to highlight and include the role in the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, we shouldn't get confused. John the Apostle, the author of this gospel, never refers to himself by name. So when he says John, he's referring to the person of John the Baptist. And why would he do this? Why would he interrupt his line of thinking? In the middle of talking about Jesus, he talks about John. I think it's very intentional. I believe the Apostle does this to highlight John the Baptist's role in bearing witness to the light. And we know this. We have evidence in the Gospels that John the Baptist went around and he preached the repentance of sins and he helped prepare the people's hearts to receive Jesus. He went and prepared the way. That was John's role. And he, he did it in quite an extreme fashion. 
I mean, he was charismatic and he was compelling. People were drawn to him. He stayed out in the wilderness and he, he wore strange clothes and he ate strange food and he challenged those in authority and people were drawn to him. And there was something so true about what he was teaching and that led to some misunderstandings of, of his first followers. Like they thought was maybe John himself would have been the Messiah. John would always vehemently deny that. And it leads to one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. At this point when John the Baptist is losing disciples who are leaving him and going to follow Jesus, his other disciples come and they're alarmed and John says, he must increase, I must decrease. John knew the role that he was called to play. He was not the light. He was not the Messiah. And John's gospel helps clear that up if there is any confusion. But he came to bear witness, to testify, to point people to Jesus. And guess what? We have the same job description. We are also called to bear witness to the true light, the light of the world. Now, John the Baptist had a very unique calling. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was a person uniquely that lived in a unique point of history that was a unique fulfillment of prophecy. So we don't have that exact same calling, but we are called even by Jesus himself to carry on this task. This is the way Jesus puts it in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, picking up in verse 14. He says, To all who will listen, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And something profound happens here in Jesus' teaching. Because in John 1, we learn that it is Jesus who is the light of the world. And then Jesus comes and teaches us something even more profound. He says, now you, you are the light of the world. Now Jesus is that true light. And it is his light that we share. But it is our task. It is our ministry. It is our vocation in life to be a city on a hill. To be a light that people can see. That, that people can see and want to go learn more about. We are, we are called to constantly bear witness in the world. This is the light of Christ shining through us to the watching world. And if we are going to follow the example of John the Baptist, we need to know that there was nothing subtle about the way that he did this. Again, he dressed funny. He ate funny. He went to the highest level of authority and called them out. And he picked fights that he could not possibly win. And why did he do that? Because he was so focused on bearing witness to the light. He wanted to see people's lives saved for eternity. He must increase. I must decrease. There was nothing subtle about what John did. So I'm not saying we are, we're going to bear witness to the light. We, we can't just necessarily live our lives and be like, well, I'm going to live my life. And hopefully people will say, hey, something's different about that person. And maybe one day they'll ask me about it. That's not the example that we've been given. That's not the example that the apostle wanted to draw out when he said to bear witness to the light. This was John the Baptist screaming it for anyone who would listen. We need to do this intentionally. But I do think that the Christmas season also presents us, presents us sorry, very different word, presents us with many opportunities to bear witness to the light. It could be as easy as inviting somebody to these things that are going on at church. Lisa mentioned it's a busy couple weeks coming up, you know, a busy time between now and December 25th. But there are also opportunities for you, if you're, if you're uncomfortable sharing what you believe with someone, you could just invite them, invite them to church. 
and say, hey, we're going through this Advent series, and I, I think you might appreciate what's being taught here. Or you may say, hey, uh, I, I want to invite you to the, the uh, concert, the, start, the um, Sunday school concert. And we can enjoy some um, food together and some drinks together and sing songs together and, and celebrate the fact that Jesus is the true light of the world. Or perhaps you have some people coming over for supper on Christmas Eve and you say, hey, come a little early. We'll go to the Christmas Eve service at 4.30. Just come and, and, and see. And see what, what it means that we celebrate this light of the world. And then, and then we'll go and have supper right after. It could be as easy as that invitation. Part of what you can do but I think it should still go beyond that. And when appropriate, I encourage you to share the real meaning of the Christmas season with so many of those who are around you caught up in the busyness and the consumerism of it all. So many different things vying for our attention, vying for our money, vying for our time. And yet here we are proclaiming that Jesus is the light of the world, and we need to proclaim that more than in these four walls. It has to go further. And our goal has the same is the same as John the Baptist. He didn't do this just because he was told to. He didn't do it out of duty or obligation. John says that he came to bear witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And may it be true that there are those who will come to believe in this light that can pierce through their darkness because we had the opportunity to bear witness. So as the music team comes, we're going to sing one more song here this morning. I just want to remind us all of what we've learned today. John has taught us that Jesus is the true light of the world and he shines in the darkness. Darkness cannot understand him. Darkness cannot overcome him. I mean, it tried at the cross. The forces of darkness tried their best to overcome this light. And that moment that looked like apparent defeat was the ultimate victory for the light of the world. And our response is to walk in the light, to live as active followers of Jesus, obeying his commands and following his example. We also learn that the true light of the world is for everyone. That John the Baptist came to testify about Jesus and point people to him. He must increase and I must decrease. Likewise, we are given the task to be the light of the world, to point people to Jesus, the true light. And whatever your darkness may be, whatever their darkness may be, know that no darkness can overcome the light. And this truth can transform lives this Christmas. Mm-hmm.